Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and super fans dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week, we are discussing season one, episode 11, The Living Years, which was written by Mark B. Perry, directed by Tom Wright, and originally aired on January 27th, 2004. Caitlin, I'm really sad. Why are you sad? Because for the rest of the series, there's no more Vegas. <laughs> We're still harping on that. Like, Why really? are you laughing at my pain? <laughs> Get over it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, how dare go you? Watch, go look up some YouTube videos or whatever. Go watch them and other things. I was actually watching a reaction video between him and Christy Carlson Romano. They did a reaction video for another Cinderella story, which he was in. And it was just, it was very fascinating. (laughs) And he's still handsome after all these years. Anyway. (laughs) I can't Uh, handle you. (laughs) um, Jokes aside, though. I mean, that wasn't a joke. That was completely 100% serious. Um, I know. (laughs) We received a message from a listener earlier this week, and um, she gave us like a bunch of different thoughts, and it was like wonderful. Oh my god, I we loved it, right, Caitlin? Yeah, it was really awesome. <laughs> yeah, but one thing that she mentioned really resonated with me. This is from our listener C, and she was talking about Peyton and Lucas's friendship. She said it's the first one I enjoy because they feel less angsty and more light. It's the version of them I enjoy the most. And that really stuck out to me, because I'm like, wow, this really is the first episode where Lucas and Peyton are, you know, th- there's no, like, awkwardness between the two of them. There's no, like, I mean, yeah, there still is a little bit of sexual tension, but at the end of the day, it's not, like, this super awkward, like, tension-filled dynamic. And I feel like you can start to buy the chemistry between them. Yeah, I mean, you you honestly get to see them as friends and with Lucas supporting her. Yeah. And then there's, like... No ulterior motive or anything in this episode. Yeah, so I gotta agree. Yeah, this was... This is the first episode where that happens. I'm like, huh. I never really thought about it before. Neither had I. Yeah, so thank you, Steve, for pointing that out to us. And, you know, even us as longtime fans, like, we have people, like, pointing stuff out to us all the time. So please, feel free. Always send us messages. Yes, we want your ideas. Yes, on all the social media platforms, on the Gmail, whatever. Do it. (laughs) Just talk to us. We love talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) Always and Forever is spoiler free, but please stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion. Somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better and everything's safe. Dan, Deb, and Nathan try out family therapy, and naturally, it doesn't end well. The tension escalates, Dan is resistant to advice, and Nathan admits he doesn't know if he loves basketball anymore. Nathan even confides in Haley that he is actually considering leaving the team, because he would have a different, probably better, life without it. And after getting advice from Keith, Nathan finally has an honest conversation with his dad about leaving the team. Surprisingly, Dan admits he will always love Nathan no matter what. In relationship news, Brooke attempts to form a deeper emotional connection with Lucas and turns to Peyton for advice. Lucas sees through these attempts and comforts Brooke by telling her she doesn't need to try so hard and that he likes how they're both different people. In a moment of weakness, Haley decides to ditch school with Nathan one day. 
They go to the Scott Beach house, get drunk, and Haley pukes on Dan's lap. Classic moment. <laughs> Love it. The next day, Nathan finds out that Haley flunked an English quiz because she ditched school. Nathan apologizes and tells Haley that he doesn't want her to change because of him. In this episode, we also finally meet Peyton's dad, Larry Sawyer, a.k.a. Daddy Sawyer. With help from Lucas, Peyton works up the courage to tell her dad the truth. She really misses him when he's away on jobs and wants him to be home more. At the last minute, Daddy Sawyer turns down a long-term job and opts to take shorter local jobs from now on. Desperately wanting to be a fly on the wall at the Scott's family therapy sessions, I'm Caitlin Illinich. And attacking your father with a rake, I'm Jeremy Rodriguez. (laughs) (laughs) I seriously would love to be a fly on the wall because we honestly only got a glimpse at these therapy sessions. Oh, jeez. I just cannot imagine what else was said. Yeah, I mean, especially now as I get older, like the more fascinated I am with therapy. And just, like, how, like, therapists, like, work with their clients and whatnot. It's very fascinating to me. It is interesting, especially with Dan, because, like, he doesn't want therapy at all. And this therapist is wonderful. Like, I love her. I want to know more about her. Like, she actually cares about Nathan. (laughs) I know. I feel like this family really needs therapy big time. I feel like this episode is kind of anti-therapy in a way, though, because, I mean, Dan's always like, oh, no, no therapy. Oh, you know how you're the expert on everything, like talking down to the therapist. I know. And then by the end of the episode, Dan and Nathan end up talking to each other without the help of a therapist. So it's like, oh, look at them. They solve their problems on their own. They didn't need a therapist. Yeah, in a way, I guess it kind of is. Yeah. I don't know. That's how I saw it, to be honest with you. With Dan there in the room, like, what could honestly be accomplished? He was just, yeah. like, freaking out the whole time and not listening. Yeah, I, th- I feel like Deb's the only one who's really receptive to it. It was her idea, so. Yeah, but that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> I know. So speaking of Dan and Nathan, I thought the song, the episode is titled after The Living Years by Mike and the Mechanics. I feel like it really, the lyrics really relate to what dan and nathan are going through yeah what did you think oh definitely i feel like this is probably the most on the nose song that we've had thus far in the past 11 episodes i agree when i read the lyrics i was like oh my gosh and i feel like once we get to the spoiler section i'm gonna have a few more things to say about this but i'll hold back for now Oh, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on that. Um, The one that I would say, though, the one particular line in the second stanza, the lyrics are, I know that I'm a prisoner to all my father held so dear. I know that I'm a hostage to all his hopes and fears. Very on the nose, Nathan is talking about Dan here in that sense. But the last line in that stanza, I just wish I could have told him in the living years. I feel like that actually more applies to Dan than Nathan. So I feel like it's... I feel like what happens in this episode is actually the inverse of that. Because at the end, Dan tells Nathan that he loves him. So, I just thought that was, that was interesting. I mean, for all we know, like, I mean, Nathan didn't say it on screen that he loves Dan. Yeah. But it could be illustrating, like, his inner mind a little bit. Yeah, I see what you mean. The stanza kind of relates to both of them, in a way. Like, just like you said, 
Dan actually admitted his feelings in the living, so-called living years, but mm-hmm. Nathan is that prisoner. He's, I mean, his dad has made him like this prisoner yeah. in his life because Nathan can't even make like the choice to be on the basketball team. Like he's constantly pressured and it doesn't really matter what his dreams are because Dan wants him to do it regardless. And even if it was a dream for Nathan at one point, he's questioning that now. Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, it is. So we can hold that conversation. We can continue that a little bit later. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's like, hmm, how much can we say right now? (laughs) Yeah. Stay tuned. (laughs) I would highly recommend reading the lyrics to the song if you're interested enough, because I think it really, like, especially if you have seen the whole series already. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of, it's eerie in the way. And I I enjoyed the song, too. Yeah, you said you've heard it before, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard it. I had no idea what it was called or the artist, but definitely heard it before. Right. Yeah, I think this is my first time hearing it, and I did enjoy it. But um, we sort of skipped around. We were going to talk about the Scott family therapy after this, but (laughs) is there anything else we wanted to say about that? (laughs) I think we covered that. <laughs> yeah, I think we did cover that. <laughs> oh, there's another part that I definitely want to talk about. How do we forget? What? When Dan and Deb went to therapy, this was after the the whole family session. Mm-hmm. But later on, they went separately. It was just them. And the therapist asks, who are Deb and Dan Scott as a couple? And they both kind of just stare at each other. Yeah, and you never even got to hear what they sigh. You, yeah, you don't hear their response at all, and it's just kind of leaving you wondering, who are they, really, as a couple? Do they work? <laughs> you know? Honestly, everything so far has revolved around Nathan, and I feel like Keith's been involved, or Karen's been involved. There really has rarely been scenes with Dan and Deb, and they weren't arguing about something, or disagreeing about something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We don't know what they were like. You know, in the beginning. Yeah, it's like, are they together based on circumstance? Mm-hmm. Because Dan got her pregnant? Or do they actually work as a couple? Like, who knows? Yeah, we really don't know. We haven't seen enough. Very interested in exploring that. Maybe we'll end up shipping Deb and Dan by, like, the end of the season. We'll be like, wow, they're so great together. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> It'll have to be a big turnaround, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be the twist. We are big Deb and Dan shippers. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> no, fuck that. I'm a Zeb Karen shipper, and I feel like I'm just, like, figuring that out now. <laughs> yeah, they're awesome. I'm dead serious, though. <laughs> like, they just need to date each other. Like, you know, date each other, bring Nathan and Lucas together, they can all live together and be a one big happy family. I am just saying, that would be a much better storyline. That would be an interesting twist. I yeah. like that. Spoiler alert, that does not happen. <laughs> but we can dream. <laughs> I mean, if I worked on the writer's room back then, I mean, probably not back then because I was 13, so I probably couldn't have worked in the writer's room. If there's a One Tree Hill reboot and the asshole who created the show is not profited off of it, I'm just saying, hire me, writers. I got you covered. You'd be a good addition. You'd pop some good stuff. I don't Thank doubt you. that. All right, let's Thank get back so on much. track. <laughs> no, so- I just want to go into this alternate universe. So it's the podcast <laughs> is just going to be this alternate One Tree Hill universe. <laughs> okay, now, um... So throughout 111, Nathan is contemplating if he wants to leave the team or not. And I, I found it interesting that he actually spoke to Keith and got some advice from him. That was really nice to say. 
obviously Dan was not happy about that. But it was interesting to see their dynamic because Keith, he left the team or he didn't really pursue it at least as much as Dan did. And Nathan really wanted to hear like from his perspective. I like that scene a lot. I feel like it's easy to forget that Keith is also Nathan's uncle. I know. I feel like I always forget that sometimes. I'm like, wait a minute, that's his uncle too, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's true. And I thought Keith gave some really good advice to Nathan. He said, it's just a game, not a life. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel like that kind of stuck with Nathan throughout the rest of the episode. Yeah, and I feel like Nathan's never actually had somebody tell him that too. I mean, it was also sort of like enforced with his therapist too. He's like, wait a minute, like, I don't have to play basketball? What? Yeah, it really was never a question in Nathan's mind before, until recently, until they actually stopped playing and Whitey canceled practice. Also, we didn't talk about this in previous episodes, but how in the world can a high school team just not play for weeks? (laughs) (laughs) Like, they just don't go to games, and they don't practice at all, but they didn't have games for weeks. Very unrealistic. Was it weeks, though? Nathan said weeks, and he was talking to Haley. He said weeks? A few weeks. Oh, a few weeks. Interesting. I don't know, like, I mean, I obviously missed that line. I just interpreted it as like, okay, they were just doing this for like a day. Like, <laughs> I just canceled for like a day, maybe maybe two or three days or so. No, because when he was talking to Haley, they were, she was tutoring him or whatever, and he said something about it being a few weeks, and he was talking about how, like, He could see his life being different without it, you know? And he's actually, it just made it clear that he actually had time to reflect. I feel like a few days would not give you time to reflect, but like two weeks maybe would. Interesting. So what would hypothetically happen if that was the case? Like, if you just don't go to games, like, are you like disqualified for like championship games or whatever? Like, how does that work? I would think so. (laughs) That's interesting. (laughs) Okay, well, we can... We could spend all day with, like, the logistics about timelines and stuff for this for this fucking show. Yeah. One Tree Hill sucks at timelines. Sucks. It never makes sense. We're going to unpack that later on as we get into the series. Especially season four. That's a whole thing. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. But another thing I wanted to mention about this episode with Nathan's storyline, he also spends quite a bit of time talking to Lucas. and. I really like seeing that. I Um, remember the scene when he came out of the gym or whatever, and they were actually talking, and Haley came up to them and was like, were you actually talking to your brother or whatever? (laughs) (laughs) Like, am I I seeing right? (laughs) Yeah, that that exact scene, though, I don't know why. Like, I just loved how Nathan walked out of the door, and then Lucas is just like, hey, Nathan. I don't know why I thought that was so cute, but I did. Like, I just loved how Lucas said that the team misses him. I don't know. I just thought that was adorable. Like, it was nice to just see these two brothers say hello to each other in the hallways. I know, because in 110, they played on the river court together. Mm-hmm. So now, like, I feel like that broke the ice maybe a little bit. So now they're actually communicating, and it's not, like, you know, tense. Also, at the practice, I have to call out the homophobic moment of the week. Oh, God. I think I did. Oh, I did. I did write that down. Is this what Whitey says to Tim? Yes. Yeah. Whitey's looking for Nathan, and then he talks to Tim. He says, Tim, you're his girlfriend. Where's Nathan? That just grossed me out. I thought it was dumb. 
Sometimes the banter with coaches, I think, was unhealthy like that. They say stuff that's, like, demeaning. Whitey said, I don't know, towards the beginning, like, the thing about calling the, the guys ladies. Like, it's supposed to be offensive. So I feel yeah, like that definitely. language, it's, like, toxic masculinity, I guess. Oh, it definitely is. And, and then now it crosses a line of homophobic, so. Yeah, it, it just needs to be called out, though. And I really hope that this doesn't continue to happen in sports especially high school sports because i feel like this is Mm -hmm. like these are experiences that like you know kids of that age group are going to bring with them later in life and yeah you know think that it's unacceptable but i like to think that the younger generation now is a little bit more um they're more willing to like call out things like that now yeah like there could be like a gay player on the team be like hey coach that was fucked up (laughs) don't say that you know Mm-hmm. And I feel like the coach will be fired. But Whitey did have a good moment with Nathan as well, when the two of them actually sat down and talked. Nathan tells Whitey that he does love basketball, and honestly, that kind of led me to believe that he was going to stick around on the team and actually continue playing. Yeah, because he actually admitted it. Yeah. But I think he was also waiting, this whole time he really was waiting for his dad to say what he said at the end. That he loves them no matter what. So I, I think it has, like, Nathan loves the game, but he knows that there's so many negative things that come with it. And he really just needed that, you know, confirmation from his dad that things would be okay if he doesn't stay on the team. Mm, okay, I see, your, I see the connection you made there. He's like, yeah, I love the game, but the game is also toxic to me, so is it okay if I, if I do walk away? So yeah. And I feel like he, I feel like Nathan needs this space right now. And as we said in our recap, he does eventually walk away, but he needs some time to like really rediscover like why he loves basketball. And one thing I want to note too, even as he was walking away, like he took his name tag off of his locker and he threw his name tag into the trash can like it was a basketball. So he's still like playing the game, even as he's walking away. Mm-hmm. So it just shows like basketball is a huge part of his life. It's all he knows. But I feel like right now he needs to take the space away to figure out like whether or not he really, truly loves it. I think he has a lot of different emotions. It's pretty complicated. Basically, he just has to come to terms with it all. Like, he loves something, but he doesn't like what that thing does to his life. And I, I think he just needs the space to, like you said, reflect, gain some perspective, walk away. Like, whenever you walk away from something or distance yourself from something, you can kind of see it in, in, in a new way, or maybe have a better appreciation for it. Mm-hmm. That's definitely how I felt, too, when I temporarily walked away from journalism, so I can relate to that. Yeah. I walked away from it for about a year. You know, I had to realize, like, do I actually love this? And I ended up realizing that I do, but I have to do it on my own terms now. That's why I that's why I do freelance writing. And I'm not like in a high pressure environment where, you know, there's lots of um there's lots of office politics that I don't have to deal with. Yeah. So really I had to like rediscover why I loved it so much. So maybe that'll happen with Nathan. Like, in a way, his whole situation with Dan, those are his office politics. Mm-hmm. And that's something he needs to get away from. And I feel like Nathan has to take the power back almost it's like dan took over his love of basketball if that even makes any sense <laughs> yeah. but it's true he took that over and then nathan's left wondering like do i actually love it 
I don't, I mm-hmm. feel like I'm being forced into it and it doesn't even feel good anymore, you know? Yeah. So he has to like step back to take that power back. So yeah, your connection is really good. I think it fully, fully relates. The person who made me technically dislike journalism, he was Dan in a lot of ways. It just made me like realize, like, I don't know if I like it anymore. You know, so I did walk away and things are much better now, I think. You know, maybe one day I'll work, in, I'll work full-time in journalism again. I don't know. I'd be open to it, but, you know, I definitely think walking away was definitely a good thing for me. So. Yeah. We'll see if Nathan comes to the same realization. Yeah, I wonder what this time away from the sport will reveal, ultimately. We just don't know. I have no idea, Jeremy, what's going to happen. (laughs) I don't know. This is totally our first time watching this. So as Nathan is kind of going through his crisis, he he drags Haley into it a bit. And I was surprised that Haley actually ditched school with him. Right? (laughs) Based on what we know about Haley so far, that's definitely not something that she would do. Yeah, definitely. The scene was so funny when they're sitting on the beach and they were drinking and then... (laughs) You know, I've never... (laughs) You've never seen Haley like that before. (laughs) Yeah. She's on over, like, working at Karen's Cafe. <laughs> oh, gosh. And then Dan shows up at the beach house. <laughs> yeah. I didn't like how he was, like, handling Haley, by the way. How he was, like, you know, like, pushing her, grabbing her, and, like, you know, pushing her into the car. Like, yeah. that, that made me uncomfortable, honestly. Just kind of, like, do a little side note on that. And she's trying to get his attention because she's like, hey, I'm about to throw up. And he just completely ignores her, like... That whole scene made me uncomfortable a little bit. He deserved her throwing up on his lap. He got what he deserves, yes. (laughs) (laughs) What's not funny, though, is the fact that Haley then failed a quiz. Yeah. Because she skipped school. Oh, boy. I mean, are we really allowed to believe that it was because she skipped school, or was it just because of a separate thing? I think it was because she skipped school. Either she missed the quiz or she didn't have time to study for the quiz and then failed it or it was just maybe it was the combination of that and being distracted past few weeks with Nathan. Who knows? Yeah, that's a possibility. But I don't know. Like part of me just wants to like say like, you know what, Haley, I have space for you not to be perfect. Yeah. You know what? You failed this one quiz. That's not like you. But you know what? Like do better. I like how Nathan apologized and he actually said, you know, I don't want you changing who you are. Yeah, it's actually Nathan who comes to yeah, who comes to her aid. So that was really nice because yeah, Haley can make a mistake, but I'm glad that Nathan spoke up about that. It was the right thing to say in that moment. Definitely. Aw, look at Nathan. He's the voice of reason. Which is odd that he's becoming the voice of reason. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Another person who is odd to become the voice of reason. Peyton, because everybody is coming to her for relationship advice, including Haley. <laughs> what the heck is that about? <laughs> I I thought that scene was so funny where um where Peyton's Peyton just like laughs at Haley's face. She's like, oh my god, everybody's asking me for relationship advice, and I was like the queen of like boyfriend dysfunction. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. <laughs> it was a funny scene. Why was everyone coming to her? I can't believe Brooke came to her. Yeah. Mm. Come on now. How awkward is that? You're asking (laughs) your best friend who used to like Lucas as far as she thinks. You know, Peyton still does like Lucas. 
but yeah. she's coming to her and asking for like emotional connection advice. Mm-hmm. That's so awkward. That is so <laughs> awkward. <laughs> Definitely. So that's Brooke basically admitting that Lucas and Peyton have a connection. Mm-hmm. Very odd. It's odd, yeah. And then Peyton whips out a CD to give to Brooke, so Brooke can give it to Lucas. And then, like, Peyton's like, okay, give this to him, tell him that tracks 8 and 11 make you think of him. And then she, like, completely fucks it up later, and she's like, tracks 8 and 13 make me think of you. Okay, because we had to find out there is no track 13, because there's only 12 songs. And also, did she really, like, forget, like, what Peyton said, like, minutes later? I don't know. Just part of me, like, maybe... I feel like the writers like to make Brooke look dumb, and I don't like that. Oh, yeah, I said that from, like, the first episode she was in. They make her look dumb. Like, if you honestly wanted to impress someone, I think you would have listened to the songs first, at least. Like, knew a little bit about it. Yeah. <laughs> I would have the same thing. I'd be like, I'd be like okay, t- tell, me about, uh, tell me about this person. And then, like, you know, say, like, tell me about this person, and then Peyton could correct, oh, it's actually a band named Travis. <laughs> So, I do not like that at all. And Lucas sees right through it. He knows right away. Yeah, how did he know that Peyton was actually referring to tracks 8 and 11? I don't know about that. Yeah, I have no idea. (laughs) I mean, I think it just shows, like, you know, how he's, like, able to, like, read her. Like, actually, no, like, uh, these are songs that Peyton would recommend. So, I feel like that's very telling. Or they've talked about the CD before. Possibly. Especially if she knew about that, knew to give that band to Brooke. Right. I don't know. It's a whole big mess. It's just getting more (laughs) awkward and more awkward and more awkward. (laughs) Definitely. But yeah, like, Brooke is trying, Brooke is trying so hard to connect to him. Brooke really is trying so hard. And then you have the moment with Lucas and Peyton when they're sitting in, like, the library and she was drawing, Peyton was drawing and Lucas had a book in his hand the winter of our discontent yeah which by the way how fucking long does it take him to read the winter of our discontent i don't know we're on episode 11 and he had it the pilot (laughs) get over it and brooke read it in that span apparently yeah i was like okay brooke finished it right we're literally the brooke finished the book he must really love this book i don't know (laughs) maybe he's rereading it i mean i'll give him space if he's rereading it gosh anyway they have this moment (laughs) when Peyton is drawing, Lucas is holding the book, and he asks, can I read while you draw? And it's just like, they have this quiet moment of just, like, coexisting. hmm Meanwhile, you have Brooke, who's trying super hard to have this connection that, frankly, I don't know is even there. And I feel bad for Brooke. Right. I do. Because she's being vulnerable for the first time, and she even admits in this episode that she hasn't felt like this about anyone before, and she wants it to work. Yeah, she's like, I never gave a rat's ass before, and now I do. I don't know why, but, like, just hearing her say those words is so lovely to me. Like, only Sophia Bush could make those words sound lovely. Like, I never gave a rat's ass before. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I just love her so much. Ugh. And then later, when Brooke's getting upset, she was waiting at Lucas's house. That scene. Mm-hmm. That scene gets me. Yeah. Well, I, we, should, we should know, too, that like, this is after she saw... Well, actually, this is... Yeah. I mean, this is like maybe like a day later or something like that. But uh, Brooke sees Lucas and Peyton 
and Daddy Sawyer all together at Karen's cafe, chatting it up. And, you know, that's obviously making her very insecure. It is. And Lucas, he says that he likes who, who she is, you know? He likes that she's different than him. And that seems to comfort her. Definitely. Although I still think she's a little hesitant, but... A little hesitant about what? To believe it. Really? You don't think she bought it? I think she did for the most part. Huh. I think she was unsure when he was first saying it to her. Yeah, but I don't know. I feel like looking through Brooke's eyes, like it seemed like... It seemed like they were going to be okay. I'm not saying they're actually going to be okay, but... Yeah. I feel like through Brooke's perspective, I don't know. I felt like... I believe that Brooke felt a little bit relieved. No, I I agree that she did feel relieved from that. Yeah. But she still might have, like, deep inside, might be a little unsure still. But we don't don't really know. That's just me. Yeah, but like we said in the last episode, there's a high chance that Brooke is just ignoring a lot of warning signs because of, like, everything that happened with Lucas and Payton previously. Like, she's just willfully being oblivious to the whole thing. And, you know, I definitely have space for that. Also, shout out to Brooke calling out the patriarchy when she's talking to Peyton and she says, he's a guy, Peyton. Follow the nature trail and they're all the same. And I'm like, (laughs) hell yeah. (laughs) See, Brooke is smart. She has capabilities. I definitely think Brooke's smart. Yeah, definitely. I mean... And the writers just the writers are just so fascinated with making her dumb, I think. And I, I really don't like it. And it's such a contrast to who, to who Sophia Bush is, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I really want to know like how Sophia felt about these early seasons. And now that they're Sophia, um <sighs> Sophia, Hillary, and Joy or Beth Is it Bethany or Joy? Because <laughs> she, she calls herself Joy a lot. I feel I, like everybody I, calls her Joy. I feel like so it's we'll Joy. Just... <laughs> okay. Anyway, Joy. Hillary and Sophia are now doing a podcast rewatching One Tree Hill, and I'm curious yeah. of what their thoughts are going to be specifically on season one. Oh, I'm so so excited for. We, we, I mean, this episode's not going to air until um until October. When is this episode? This episode is going to air October 20th, according to my co- calculations. Yeah, they very well could already come out with a podcast by the time we're talking about this, but <laughs> oh well. Yeah, so, sorry if this is outdated and not evergreen, folks. Wait, does this episode come out on October 20th? Let me double check that. Yes, I was correct. This episode is going to air on October 20th. So, I am just saying, if you were listening to this episode on its launch day, Hmm. tomorrow is my birthday. So this will be airing on the last day of your 20s. Okay, all right. We're going to cop this. (laughs) We're stopping. We're cutting this. We're cutting this entirely. Okay. All right. Let's let's just move on. Let's just move on. <laughs> Let, let's talk about Daddy Sawyer. Finally, he shows up. Like, hello. He's been gone for so long. Peyton is dealing with her mom's, you know, the anniversary of her death. Dad's still not around. It's just, wow. I'm glad we finally get to meet him and get some more backstory about why he's always away. Yeah, I don't like how he's so romanticized as, like, this great father. Like, you know, Peyton's so excited, like, Daddy, you're home. But, like, you know, she is, like, insecure about the fact, like, oh, but Daddy, you're not around. So, Daddy Sawyer can do a little bit better. Oh, yeah. It's really problematic that he's never around. And I don't even know why, when he was contemplating taking that really long trip to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. What in the world? Why would you think your daughter would want you to be gone for that long? 
Like, what is he thinking? It's just wild to me that she's left alone. No other adult figure at all stays with her. She lives in the house alone, and she's 17. In one of the deleted scenes, though, on the DVDs, there is a scene where Peyton mentions to Daddy Sawyer that um, her grandma comes around a lot and brings a lot of food. Oh, I missed that, and I watched the deleted scene, too. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's just like a casual, like, passing reference where she says, like, a grandma visits a lot, but shouldn't she be living with her grandma, not living alone? <laughs> Visiting doesn't count. Yeah, Living exactly. like, would count. You should stay with grandma, or grandma should be staying at the house, like, one thing or the other. Like, ugh. There's really no excuse. I don't like it. Um... Also, too, like, let's talk about some of Peyton's daddy issues. So, when they go to cheerleading practice, which cheerleading practice is part of basketball practice, but I don't think, there's not, like, a cheerleading coach or anything, like, I know. whatever, that's that's a whole other thing that, uh, that has always annoyed me. <laughs> there's no way that cheerleaders would have space to practice routines while the basketball team is literally playing practice games and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So, whatever. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna ignore that. <laughs> I'm just gonna. The cheerleaders are powerful. They can take care of themselves, whereas the boys can't. Oh, cool. We'll just take that as a subtle jab at the patriarchy. Anyway, <laughs> um, but during um cheerleading practice, um, Jake comes in with Jenny in tow, and um, another thing, Peyton watches him. But I'm like, okay, shouldn't she be practicing? So how? All right, I'm just not gonna get caught up in those details. <laughs> Every time I keep talking, I'm like, wait a minute, but this this is actually stupid. <laughs> but anyway, um, so Peyton is playing with Jenny. She gives Jenny the keys, some of her, some of the um keys for the cheerleading closet or whatever. And um, Jake finds Peyton later and says, like, oh, you're forgetting something. And Peyton's like, oh no, thanks. So Peyton says, you're really great with Jenny. And then and then Jake is like, yeah, you know, like um. I love her. She was always so cute. I was always, like, obsessed with her, blah, blah, blah. And I think about her growing up, and I can't imagine uh, being without her. And then if you if you pay attention to Peyton's face after Jake says that, her face just drops. Really? Yeah. I remember the scene. I don't remember her face completely dropping, but that makes sense. That's interesting that these two storylines would be connected. Yeah. Because... I'm sure it is nice for Peyton to see some a dad who really cares about her daughter, his daughter, and she's insecure about her dad. You know. Yeah, but as we've been seeing, and uh, I think both this episode and the previous episode, there's a little bit of tension going on between Peyton and Jake right now. Oh, for sure. And I don't know. It just seems like she volunteered right away to watch the baby at practice. Yeah. So, I don't know, I feel like it just makes me think, like, Jake is sort of a surrogate father for Peyton, and it's kind of weird. That's what I'm saying, like, she has major daddy issues, I think. And it's something I never thought of before. Yeah, there's something, I think, to be said about, like, Peyton doesn't have family, and here she is witnessing the start of a family, you know? Yeah. It's a sensitive subject, understandably. Right. One that I really hate about this storyline, too, is that Lucas is the one to confront Daddy Sawyer and say, Hey, Daddy Sawyer, uh, your daughter kind of misses you. I know. He can't even see it for himself how his daughter's feeling. Yeah. And Peyton never actually confronts him herself either, you know? Well, she it, she eventually does, but doesn't she? Does she? 
Oh, God. Not really. Because later on at the end of the episode, there's the um, Daddy Sawyer has his bag. And then Peyton's like, oh, pl- please don't tell me you're leaving. And then that's what he's that's what he just tells her, like, oh, I'm taking um shorter jobs rather than long-term jobs. And then she's like, Oh yay, Daddy Sawyer, thank you, I love you. So she never actually gets like really like, you know, put out her feelings. Well, we said that in the recap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, what did we say in the recap? With help from Lucas, Peyton works up the courage to tell her dad the truth. She really misses him <laughs> when he's away on jobs and wants him to be home more. Yeah, say. <laughs> So it wasn't even like Peyton, like, you know, working through, like, some of her insecurities or, you know, actually talking to her father. And her artwork, her dad seeing the artwork was kind of, like, what showed him how Peyton was feeling, so. Yeah. Which is bizarre. He can't even read his own daughter, but he can look at her artwork. Uh, Daddy Sawyer, you could do a much, much better job. I love how you haven't questioned me calling him Daddy Sawyer this entire time. (laughs) I figured it was just a Jeremy thing, so. (laughs) Uh, because it's actually commented a little bit on what Brooke says earlier in the episode when um, Peyton's walking and she's all smiley. And then Brooke's like, oh, what guy has you smiling? And then Peyton's like, that would be my dad. And then Brooke's like, well, you'd have me smiling too. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not the first time that Brooke makes jokes like that, by the way. That definitely (laughs) happens again. (laughs) Daddy Sawyer is kind of hot. I will admit that. I'm into him. (laughs) Yeah, he's a daddy. <laughs> so, do you want to talk about some of our top favorite moments? Are we there yet already? I guess we are. Yes. <laughs> we are. What was your favorite quote, Jeremy? I like when Brooke is talking to Lucas and she says, I do what I do and I like what I like and that's just who I am. It's just the one quote that sums up how much I love Brooke, so. I had a feeling that's what you were going to say. Aw. <laughs> when Brooke was saying it. I was like, Jeremy's going to pick up on that. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're starting to get to know me too well. <laughs> what was your favorite quote? I, I did not think about your favorite quote at all, let me be honest. Okay, so I'm going to use this segment to talk about the little prince. Ooh. The Lucas, Lucas's voiceover, but that actually wasn't my favorite quote. So I'll, I'll share oh. my favorite quote first, and then I'll, I'll go to that reference. I liked what Keith said to Nathan. And I I said this earlier. It's just a game, not a life. And I don't know. It kind of resonated with me. Like, I feel like... That is a really good one. Players, whether they're young kids or even adults, sports are taken so seriously. It does not have to be your life. (laughs) It's a game. (laughs) And I feel like people need to be reminded of that. Yeah, you can have fun. Yeah, especially Nathan. So I thought that was wise advice from Keith. Oh, totally. Aw, Keith. In terms of the reference to the children's book, The Little Prince, Haley brings that up when she's tutoring Nathan, because apparently he had to read it for French class. Lucas, at the very end, his voiceover is taken from The Little Prince. And The Little Prince said to the man... Grown-ups never understand anything for themselves, and it is tiresome for children to always be explaining things to them. So when I, I've never read The Little Prince, well, I read the beginning of it, but when I was doing some digging into this book, I found different versions of that quote. So there must be different translations or things, because that quote from One Tree Hill is a bit different than what I saw 
the version that I was reading from, it says, Grown-ups never understand anything by themselves, and it is exhausting for children to have to provide explanations over and over again. And I also saw another huh. version as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. It, this is just one of the versions. It's basically saying the same thing. And the book is pretty much like a societal critique in a way. And the very beginning, it, the story starts off with a narrator is describing this picture um, that they drew when they were a kid and they were trying to get adults to figure out what it was. And the narrator is like annoyed that they couldn't perceive what it truly was. They thought it was something different. And then that voiceover quote is what's stated. Grownups never understand anything for themselves and it is tiresome, blah, blah, blah. So... This is at the very beginning of the book, so it really does, there's like no deep connection. And I'm kind of getting a little disappointed <laughs> as we're moving through, we're at 111 now. I feel like the literary references in One Tree Hill, like the quotes connect, but they're out of, completely out of context. So there isn't as deep of a connection to these books as I originally thought. Aww. Which is kind of disappointing, but I, I still want to dive deep into the quotes as they come up. and. Yeah. So this one, I think it really is referring to Dan in a way. Mainly, I feel like it's Dan as the grown-up in this particular quote. He doesn't really, like, get what he's doing to Nathan. And he's still kind of grappling with his own past. And he doesn't really have the answers at all. And in a way, like, Nathan is showing him that life maybe could be could have been different or can be different because Nathan now doesn't want to play basketball anymore. Right. So I don't know if you can necessarily take the quote literally, but basically I think it's referring to Dan. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, just listen to the quote out of context. They didn't really do any research into the Little Prince. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, but as far as like the story is concerned... It's basically, it's more of a societal critique rather than a yeah. critique of, like, fathers and sons or anything like that. Yeah, it's it's not. But I think in the case of One Tree Hill, it definitely is referring yeah. to him. I mean, quotes can mean, a lot to a, can mean a lot to a lot of different people. Sure could, yeah. So th that's probably honestly what the writers are doing. They're like, let's make ourselves look very highbrow by using these literary quotes and just, like, make the quotes their own, essentially. Yeah, because, like, what else could it really mean? Grown-ups never understand anything for themselves. I, yeah. I feel like it's just, it refers to him and not being able to, like, fully get, like, how Nathan is feeling. And Nathan has to, like, explain that to him. Right. Almost teach him something that Dan can't even grasp. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Dan. I know, right? All right, but... I'm so excited to hear some of your literary analyses a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm still looking forward to them. It's just they don't have, like, they're just totally taken out of context. Yeah, which, that's an attempt to look highbrow. But it's kind of interesting to find that out, though. Because I guess I always thought they had a bigger significance. Aw. It'll still be an exciting project. Oh, for sure. All right, favorite musical moments. I loved Avalanche by Ryan Adams. That was the second to last song, and it played with that scene with Brooke and Lucas. They were sitting on the, the steps. I don't know. It was kind of like a sad, it's a sad song, but a lot of Ryan Adams songs are sad. But it kind of, it was just like, a, it was a sweet moment. And I think it added to it. It was kind of like a good segue into the last song, which was also a Ryan Adams song. 
Really? There's two Ryan Adams songs in this episode? <laughs> yeah, two different Ryan Adams songs back to back from huh. the same album. But I like the second to last one more. Two Ryan Adams songs. Okay, so there's Shadow. Yeah, the other one is Shadowlands or The Shadowlands. My bad. And then my honorable mention, Harder to Breathe by Maroon 5 when they're in Broken Lucas are in the hot tub. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> How did I know? <laughs> I I am a sucker for a good sex song. <laughs> I just, I really am. So I don't know, just like how that song comes on, right? It's in the library and it's like, okay, like we're in the library. And then it's, and then Brooke's like, oh, let's do something I want to do. And then Lucas is like, okay, but let's make it legal, okay? And then Brooke's like, sure. And then it's like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> that was like the best moment to play that song. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, okay. And then fucking fucking Brooke takes him to a house that isn't even her. That's an issue. That's an issue. But okay. Why is it an issue? <laughs> Trespassing on someone else into someone else's house and going in their hot tub is an issue, yes. <laughs> but they didn't go into their house. They just went into the hot tub. Alright. <laughs> Fine, try to make yourself feel better about that one, but it's that's not cool. <laughs> what I was going to say, though, is that, like, I don't know how, like, you know, li- like, how the two of them were anxious about somebody coming home, because I'm like, what the- <laughs> I know. Aren't you a little bit concerned? Me, I'd be, like, you know, looking around, be like, what, where, S- somebody coming? Somebody coming? Somebody coming? I had sex in a lifeguard tower once, and I was, like, anxious the <laughs> entire time. I'm like, I'm like, what? I'm like, is somebody here? somebody's walking along the beach okay let's do it like i couldn't even like even enjoy myself i also had sex in an alleyway one time and still very anxious (laughs) it was in front of somebody's house too and i kept thinking like what if they look out the window what if they look out the window what if they look out the window so i'm just saying like brooke like ahead of her time so power to her for having (laughs) that strength oh my god you're killing me over here I'm sorry. I'm not, but I am. <laughs> anyway, what's your uh, what's your score for this episode? So I it kind of surprised me when I rewatched it, and I thought about all the scenes together, and I feel like this episode had some really good scenes. So I'm going to rank it four out of five family therapy sessions. Okay. What about you? At first, I was going to um, give it a two out of five. Really? A two? Yeah. Like, I don't know. this, But this episode just didn't really resonate with me. I I feel like it was just more of like an extension of the previous episode. I felt like it just didn't really rock my world. There wasn't too much going on in it. Huh. But then at the end when Dan said, I love you to Nathan, I don't know. That just like kind of tugged to my heartstrings a little bit. And I'm like, this is so good. So I actually bumped it up um, after seeing that moment. So I'm going to bump it up to three out of five hot tub makeout sessions. So it's like right in the middle for me, honestly. I have to disagree with you. I think a lot happened in this episode. Really? Okay. We can agree to disagree sometimes. (laughs) I feel like every scene really mattered. Plus we got a new character. I like like the episode. I stand by my four. All right. You stand by your four. You do that. (laughs) 
don't know. To, to me personally, it just felt like filler. Like, I feel like if we didn't have this episode, I feel like you'd, like, if we did watch this, I feel like we'd still be able to understand what's happening. I guess. I think it just went deeper into the characters for me personally, and that's what made it interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the, and the only reason, uh, another reason why it's not a one two was because of the Lucas and Peyton stuff. I don't know. I just felt like it was just like our listener C pointed out. It, it is a very good episode to see the two of them just be friends. Yeah, and you know it was cute. It wasn't awkward. You know there is still a little bit of romantic tension there, but at the end of that, you do get a feeling that they do care about each other. Agreed. We'll see how long that lasts. We will see. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AlwaysOTHPod. You can also email us at AlwaysOTHPod at gmail.com. That's always O-T-H-P-O-D. You can follow Jeremy Rodriguez on Twitter at Rodriguez Jeremy. You can follow Caitlin Illinich on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans, new and old, find us. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. This is your final reminder to turn off this podcast now if you do not want spoilers. All right, what is this fun fact that's going to blow my mind? What is it? <laughs> Jeremy has this on the notes, and I'm like dying to know what it is. Yeah, so Caitlin and I collaborate on the notes about the discussion points we want to talk about. And literally, I just have the bullet point. Jeremy's fun fact that will blow Caitlin's fucking minds. <laughs> You may already know this. I may have, like, amped it up a little bit. So, the house that um, Brooke and Lucas make out in front of with the hot tub, did you recognize that house? No. It's the house that Nathan, Haley, and Jamie live in beginning in season five. Are you serious? Mm Mm-hmm. Did they even show the house? (laughs) <laughs> they do a little bit the camera pans up and i compared the um i compared screenshots i'm like yeah this is the oh my god i'm gonna have to look at it again now <laughs> i did not know that so this is blowing my mind yeah it's a very similar house so i you know i don't i don't i feel like it's kind of reaching to say it's the same house this is according to imdb trivia so who knows like maybe it could be wrong but like if you do compare the two it is very very similar well remember their house changes Even though the interior remains the same, their house changes. I mean, so season five, I don't know when it changes. Maybe it changes in six or seven. Really? The exterior changes? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Well. I have, I've been to both locations, driven past them. Oh, look at you. (laughs) Oh, I just double checked the IMDb trivia. This is the same house lived in by Haley, Nathan, and Jamie in seasons five and six. Okay, yeah, I think five and six was one exterior, and then after that, the rest of the series, it changes. Oh, wow, I never noticed that. Huh, yeah, I just had to double check that. I was like, okay, no, they definitely, yeah, they definitely didn't say for the entire rest of the series. They say seasons five and six, so, hmm. It's really- Well, that's fun. It is really bizarre that they changed the exterior. Huh, well, anyway, who knew that they would um live into the house <laughs> they that- stuck into? <laughs> Made out oh, in front of a hot tub with. God. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, Lord. 
All right, back to The Living Years by Mike and the Mechanics. Yes. I'm excited to hear this analysis. This song is wild to me because it makes me think of the end of the series when Dan dies and how Nathan and Dan finally get to a good place where there aren't any regrets, you know? I feel like at that point they have said the final things that they need to say to each other in the so-called living years. Mm -hmm. But Dan never gets that closure with Lucas at the end of the series. Yeah. He never does. And the one stanza, it stanza six. So we open up a quarrel between the present and the past. We only sacrifice the future. It's the bitterness that lasts. That just really screams Lucas and Dan. Like, there's this bitterness between them, and it's never resolved. And I feel like they could never come to terms with, like, the past in the now, you know? Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure, like, the last scene between Lucas and Dan in the entire series is when he's walking with Karen up to the house, and they're walking up to see both Peyton and little baby Sawyer, and they walk past Dan, and, like, Lucas shields Karen from Dan. And I'm pretty sure that's the last scene the two of them have together. I think you're right. And it is kind of tragic, but it's I feel like it's also realistic in a way, because... It is. C- come on, like, if you're going through, like, this whole redemption arc, not everybody is going to forgive you, and nobody is entitled to forgive you. You're not entitled to forgiveness. Yeah, I don't think Lucas needed to forgive Dan, because Dan never did anything for him. He was never a father yeah. to him. He did so many mm-hmm. things wrong that I don't think it was possible. But I feel like this song just makes me think of, like, the things that were not said between them, you know? Right. All of those things, the loose loose ends that were never wrapped up. Yeah, it's kind of an emotional song, honestly. And I just couldn't help not think about the end of the series (laughs) when reading it, so. That's the end of the series. Let's talk about something that happens at the end of the season. So what made you think about Keith and Deb having sex? So in the cafe, Deb you know, is running it, and Keith was there eating, and then Dan, of course, walks in, and he makes some comment, like, some jealous comment, like, I don't even remember exactly what he said. It was something about leftovers or something, like... Yeah, it was something about leftovers, and just, like, you can't have Deb. So stupid. Even though that's not even what was happening. He was just eating there, which he always eats there anyway, but Deb just happens to be there. Right. And they are family, also. So why can't they talk? Mm-hmm. And it's just Dan being Dan. He's super jealous. But in the end, <laughs> I guess he had a right to be because Keith and Deb have sex at the end of the season. <laughs> so, and that's ultimately what leads to his heart attack. Dan's heart attack. Yeah. I, th- I thought you said. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, he's so stressed out. Later on, yeah, but I thought you said that leads to Dan's hard sex. (laughs) It's like, what? Heart attack. (laughs) Who does he have hard sex with? (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, God. Anyway. I always kind of low-key hope for a little bit more of Deb and Keith. I know, right? Yeah, I don't know. I I felt like there was a lot of history between the two of them that was never resolved. Yeah. And, you know, it was just, honestly, between the two of them, it was just a moment of weakness. They were both just a warm body, and they yeah. just wanted to get it on. It was just kind of, like, comforting comforting each other when they were, like, Exactly. Upset. Yeah. It wasn't about, like, them having feelings for each other or anything like that, so, yeah. Are we ready to talk about the next episode? Because I feel like we yeah. need to talk 
a little bit about the scenes. I feel like we got to this too fast. Like, Lucas cheats on Brooke with Peyton in the next episode. I'm like, they just started dating. I don't know why. Like, I always felt like they were dating for a longer period of time than this. I feel like there needed to be at least one more episode in between 111 and 112. Because what kills me, and obviously I'm a Layton fan, but I'm thinking about it differently. Like, 112, which we're going to get to next week. I think about it differently Mm -hmm. now. So I'll have plenty to say next week. But the scene in 111 that kills me is at the end when Peyton says to Brooke that she needs to trust herself, trust me, trust, like pretty much just trust, trust all of us and trust yourself. And then look what happens in the next episode. It's really kind of yeah gut-wrenching, honestly, to think about it because it's Brooke's trying so hard. Everyone knows she's trying hard including Peyton and Lucas. It's really gut-wrenching. I don't even know. I don't even have the words. <laughs> and it's so, like, even lay fans can say that, too. Like, I don't care how much of a shipper you are between Lucas and Peyton. Like, you can't help but realize, like... It's messed up. This is really wrong how it happens. And also, too, something I've always... Or, or something I've, I've noticed just recently, actually. You know, in the very next episode, Brooke says, I love you to Lucas. She says it on the phone. But it's, like, such, like, a passing thought. Like, she says it with, like, emotion. She's like, I love you. And then Lucas just hands up real quick. He's like, I love you too. Bye. It's a blink and you'll miss that moment. But it's very, it sticks out to me so much with each rewatch. Like, when you, when you rewatch 112, like, seriously, like, look for that scene. You'll, you'll be like, wow. <laughs> I don't know how you can go, like, okay, let's. Say it for what it is. First off, Brooke is oblivious about what Peyton's truly feeling. We have already gone through. We've talked about that. But I don't know how, as a best friend, you can go from saying, like, trust yourself and trust me and trust Lucas. And then a few days later, you're cheating on her and Lucas. I mean, yeah, technically it's Lucas cheating, but she's going behind her best friend's back. Yeah. It doesn't look good. How can we go from 111 to 112 that fast? Yeah. I don't know. Like, 112, like, that, their entire adventure just seems so long. Like, I, I always feel like it stretches across several episodes, but no, it, it, ha- it all happens in one episode. Yeah. So it's really weird to think, like, wow, this is all happening so, so fast. Like, I'm not even ready. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to save it for next episode, but I have a lot of space. There's a lot of different dynamics. I'm going to take your phrase. I have some space for for a bunch of different characters in this this whole thing. Oh, is that my catchphrase now? It is. <laughs> I have space for that. You said that a lot the last two episodes, at least. <laughs> Send us um, t-shirt emojis if you want us to um, make merch that says, I have space for that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can put it together. <laughs> Oh, oh. Okay. This is probably the most polite conversation we have had about Leighton versus Brucus. Yeah. Next week, we will continue to have polite conversations because the next episode is titled Crash Course in Polite Conversations, <laughs> the 12th episode of season one, which we will be talking about next week. I see what you did there. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Here's the episode description from our One Tree Hill DVD box sets. After Peyton's father is reported lost at sea, she and Lucas head down the coast to see if she can identify a body washed ashore by a storm. At Dan's birthday party, his mother reveals a devastating secret. 
we'll be seeing, seeing ya. ya.